This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Amen. All right, so let's jump into our Bibles. And if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, here in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we read about our Lord's first and second coming. Uh, His first coming, of course, is in uh, Matthew 1. And then there are other details about our Lord's uh, childhood uh, in these early pages of Matthew. So I'm sure you'll be back to these uh, verses in Matthew 1 and 2 before the month is over. And I just want to highlight uh, a couple of things from Matthew chapter 1. Let me read verses 18 through 25. Here we go. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Maybe I'll just stop right there. So here is Jesus Christ. He comes into the world to save us, to save his people, all those who believe in him from their sins. So there in the Gospel of Matthew is the first coming of Jesus Christ, the first advent of Christ. But also in Matthew, we can read about the second advent. So if you want to flip over to Matthew chapter 24, and this is where we'll spend most of our time. This is not uh, a a talk or a conversation really about the end times in terms of analyzing any cosmic cataclysmic events that might take place at the end of time. You know, we might bump into uh, (coughs) some of that just a little bit as we go through. But our focus today really is on the fact that Christ will return and what are the implications of his return for us as believers. So that's, that's kind of where we're headed with this. It would be very interesting to spend a lot of time talking about what will the end of time be like, but we just won't be able to do um, very much of that uh, this morning. But I would like to share a few verses from Matthew 24. And I'm going to begin with verse 28. You know, I I think I have 28 written down, but I'm going to begin with verse 29. So verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. He's saying this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. 
and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Amen. So that's a very different description and a very different impression that you get of the coming of the Lord here in Matthew 24 from what you read in Matthew chapter 1 or what you're typically thinking about this time of year at, at Christmas time. And what I want to do is pull out seven, I think I, I have, implications of Christ's second advent for us today, for us now. And just this is also a bit of a preview because if you did this, and you don't, there's a lot of great Advent resources in the bookstore, and you know, I, I don't know yet if this is a favorite. I have some favorites in there, but I don't know. We'll find out about this one. But I do know that the first, uh, the first little more of a week is about the second coming, and then he'll talk about the first coming uh, leading up to Christmas. So you get all of that. So don't, don't be discouraged at first if you do this. You'll eventually get to the angels and shepherds and all in Bethlehem and all that. It's coming. But uh, the points that we're going to look at here, some of them he touches on in the first week here. So if we just do a broad overview this morning, there's greater depth a uh, little bit in this, uh, in this book. So here is one of the first implications. Let believers take comfort because they will be perfectly safe on the day of judgment. So when we study Advent, and, and some of this we'll be talking about in our service today because we're having a carols and scripture service. Advent is remembering that the world sat in darkness and by God's grace his people waited with eager expectation for the coming of Christ to, to be their savior so that's that's a bit of the the essence of, of Advent it's about waiting and longing for deliverance well there's nothing new under the sun Christ has come which is wonderful and we celebrate it and yet we might sometimes find that, that this life can be very difficult and we face many struggles, personal struggles that are very real to us. Things might weigh heavily on our heart every single day. And, you know, if you look outside the window or, or read the news, you might discover that there's all kinds of difficult, terrible things happening in the world out there, too. And you can be discouraged. And the scripture, though, is telling us that we can find comfort in the reality that Christ is going to return. Now, when he does return, it's going to be amazing. 
You, you read in verse 29 about the sun being darkened and the moon not giving light, the stars falling from heaven, powers of the heavens are shaken. This is Old Testament language. Isaiah uses this exact same language when he talks about the judgment that God would pour out upon the kingdom of Babylon and, uh, and upon Edom. And Joel uses this exact same language when he talks about God's judgment on the Old Testament people. And so it wouldn't have seemed that strange to the people Jesus was talking to. They were Jewish people, and he's speaking to them, and they hear this. This is for them. It's not like Bible code. That stuff's weird. Okay, It's not Bible code, but, it, but they were kind of like code words for them. When they heard this, they know this is talking about a great judgment. There's going to be a great judgment of God. It's going to take place. And then there's this description of Jesus coming in verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And biblical scholars have spilled all kinds of ink over what this sign might be. Um, my favorite is it is the Lord himself. He is the sign. Um, you know, a sign can be a demonstration of power like signs and wonders, right? Like miracles. So, so Jesus coming on the clouds is an incredible wonder. Here comes Jesus Christ. And notice what happens. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They, or wail is actually the word. They will wail as Jesus Christ comes. It will be a shock to the people when Jesus Christ appears. You could just, just imagine what that might have been like for Jesus, or will be like, for Jesus to, to return. You can read about it in the book of Revelation as well. In Revelation chapter 1, uh, we have John the Apostle. He's having this amazing vision uh, from the Lord and he, 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 he hears God uh, speak. Well, let's see, John 1, verse 7. Behold, he, that's Christ, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes on the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And here's Jesus I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. So this, this second coming is very different than the first coming of Christ, right? Because he comes at first, it's very humble and he's very poor and he's born to a, a poor family and he's, you know, laying in, in a feeding trough and just wrapped up in rags and so on. And yet his second coming is so incredible that every nation on earth, every person in the universe notices and mourn and wail on account of his coming. But not his people. Because John still, I'm still in, in John, uh, I'm sorry, in Revelation 1. John says this, if you go up a few verses to verse 4. John is writing to the seven churches that are in Asia. Those are real churches. He says, grace to you and peace 
from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So notice, when Christ comes and all the world cries, his people will be crying tears of, of joy as they see him come. So the, the second coming of Christ is a comfort for believers because believers are told in the scripture that we will be perfectly safe in Christ. Now, this kind of, in my mind anyway, connects to our class on contentment that we did in there. So somewhere in all that we said bubbled up this one point that the Christian person, one of the reasons you as a believer should be content in this life is the Christian person is always totally safe in this life. If you think about it, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? That's, let's not ponder that question too much. <laughs> I just started to think of things. But anyway, uh, often people think the worst thing that could happen to them is that they might, they might lose their life. They might die. But if that happens to you as a Christian, you're with Jesus. When Christ returns to judge the world and the moon is dark and stars are falling or whatever kind of cosmic cataclysmic things are happening, then you're okay because you're with Jesus and you'll see him and you'll see your savior. It's your savior who returns as the king of kings. So believers can take comfort in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. And the scripture would even encourage us to pray that he would come again. So as we celebrate the first advent of, Christian, uh, of, 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 of Christ's coming at Christmas time, it's very appropriate for us to be praying for his second advent, for his second coming. To, to right all the wrongs that are in the world, the wrongs that are in our own hearts, the trouble we feel, struggles we might have, emotions we might wrestle with, the, the wrongs that we, we experience re relationally as we interact with other people, all the wrongs we see in the world out there. Jesus comes to right all of those wrongs through his justice and also through his grace and we'll be totally safe when he returns and it ought to be a, to us a source of great comfort. Now, obviously, unbelievers, and this is the language of taking this from Ryle, should think of this and be afraid. Ryle's tougher than me, you know. I would say this should be a call for unbelievers to come to Christ. And that's what he's saying too, you know. He's just... I don't know, maybe more manly than I am. <laughs> because he's saying you should be afraid because this, if you don't know Christ, because he is going to come and he is going to come in, in great power and, and great glory. Believers that will, 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 will receive a crown of life and they will enjoy heaven forever, but unbelievers will experience the, the judgment of God. And, and there is a world out there that in sin and in unbelief is at war 
at least in their minds, uh, with God. I say in their minds because God laughs at them. This is what Psalm 2 teaches us. You can read in Psalm 2 that the nations, let's look at verse 1. The nations rage, peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that's David, but it's also prophetic talking about Christ. Verse 10 of Psalm 2, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, it's a reference to Christ, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. So the, the, the nations may rage against the Lord, and yet the Lord will return and judge the nations. I have Matthew 4, 17 in the notes, but I don't remember what it is, so I'm going to turn there. It'll be like a surprise. Here's what it is. It's Jesus. It's the first words of Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, these are his very first words. In Matthew, this is his the beginning of his preaching ministry. Notice what he says. Repent. There's his first word. Repent. Now, this is the Lord. This isn't a crazy guy holding a sign at the side of the highway, okay? This is the Lord. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the king, and he's come to save his people, and he's going to come again to judge the, the world. So he says, repent, turn away from sin and turn uh, to him for, for salvation. So, so this doctrine, this teaching in the scripture about the second coming of Christ is a source of comfort for believers. It is a warning and an invitation for unbelievers. Those are two things we can pull out of this teaching about the second advent. Another is believers will enjoy a wonderful reunion in heaven. Now, I, I understand that culturally um, there's just been a lot made of this, this idea that we're all going to see one another in heaven to the point that you might be tempted to be uncomfortable when, when I say this, but I wouldn't want the culture's misunderstanding of eternal life in heaven to cause us to miss this wonderful, encouraging, lovely truth of God that's in the Bible. Believers will enjoy a wonderful reunion in heaven. Look at verse 31 in Matthew 24. Jesus will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. I like that language. It's, you know, north, south, east, west from one end of heaven to the other. So that's everywhere on earth, everywhere in heaven. Jesus will gather his elect, his gathering, his chosen people. He'll gather believers. All the Christian people will be together. And there's a wonderful description of this in Revelation also. It's in Revelation chapter 7, uh, one of my many favorite passages uh, from the Bible, where... In Revelation 7 and verse 9, this is a vision that John has of heaven. He says, After this I looked, 
and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So here's this huge sea of people, people from every nation, people from every ethnicity, people from all different languages, people, this is where it gets really amazing, from all different times, people who believe in God who are in heaven, people who believe in God who are on the earth, will be together before King Jesus. And, and we'll, see, we'll see our Christian loved ones in heaven. And I think that's a source of great comfort. All of God's people will be there. No one will be left out. No one will be left behind. We'll all be together. And we'll have this wonderful experience of, of all the brokenness, all the strained relationships, all the hard feelings, all the physical infirmities, all the sickness, all the lack, all corrected in heaven by Jesus Christ. And there we all are together. So hope building. So that's why, you know, this idea of longing. So you can imagine the old, my, my favorite, we're going to sing my favorite uh, Christmas hymn this morning, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You know, I love that one just captures this, this longing, you know. I mean, we still have that, right? <laughs> we still have that longing. I mean, I, <coughs> I'm a happy guy. I, I like life, you know. so much to be thankful for but don't we all have a longing for something better something more and that's that's what longing for the second advent is like we're we're going to enjoy when christ returns now we can trust god to keep his promises just skipping down to verse 35 we didn't read that but jesus is continuing on this topic he says heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away so Jesus has said he's going to come back for his people, and he will come back for his people. He, he can be trusted. He, he has not forgotten us. Um, he, he is not just, you know, wasting time and, and ignoring uh, where we are. Um, he is not to be mocked by anybody in the universe, though there may be many who do mock him. Peter who would have been one of those disciples listening to Jesus talk about his second coming, uh, later writes in his own letter to the churches, this is in 2 Peter, around chapter 3, he writes about people's opinions of whether Christ is going to return or, or not. And he says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. The last days in the New Testament language is, that's we're living in it, okay? That's the New Testament period. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation so these people i guess they're very scientific they're just saying everything's just going on there's no god there's no god who's going to come back there's nothing to look forward to we don't need to be afraid of this god we don't need to be looking out for this jesus 
This is how Peter responds. Verse 7, But by the same word, the word of God, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and destroyed, and so on. And then there's another description of Christ's second coming. But the scripture is encouraging us to be trusting our God, that he will keep his promises. So really, when we think about the coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ, we're studying how the people waited and trusted and believed in God and they were longing for his coming. And you know what? Here we are doing the same thing. Now, they were looking forward to the first coming of Christ and we're looking back to the first coming of Christ. But one of the things we have in common is we're all looking for this ultimate consummation when he returns for his second advent to rescue his people. And while we wait, we should be watchful and prayerful. So back in Matthew 24, verse 42, another verse that we didn't uh, read. Jesus shares some parables uh, in, in which he, well, he teaches about the, the flood and how the flood came suddenly. And then he's sharing these little stories about how God will come and take his people. But he gives this encouragement in Matthew 24, 42. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And verse 44, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let me just say that. There are a lot of Christian resources out there, and there are a lot of Christian people out there who love to study eschatology. This is the study of last things, the end of times. And uh, maybe you, uh, I hope you don't you know, just flip through the TV channels, but maybe you flip through the TV channels, and every now and then you'll come across a preacher, and the whole wall will be this big chart of all these things that are going to happen, and you can look at all that. That's interesting. Um, I'm not meaning to make fun. I mean, I, I have godly people I know who are very into those things. But I, I think it's important for us to understand that the main point about the Bible's teaching regarding the second coming of Christ is that we need to be ready for his second coming. That is the main point. That's, that's what Jesus is saying right here. We must be ready for his second coming. So Christian people, then we worship, we pray, we long for his coming. We share the gospel with unbelievers because we want them to be ready for his coming. This is the main point. So we should be watchful and prayerful. We should be faithful. God has blessed us. Jesus goes on. He tells the parable of the ten virgin, virgins in Matthew 25 and of the talents there also. He, he says to the the one who used his talent well in Matthew 25, 21, 
This is the parable, the master in the parable. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We should be faithful. Jesus Christ will come and he will be exalted as the king of the earth. That's the final point there on that first page. Very interesting thing that happens when Jesus is on trial before Caiaphas and you can read in Matthew 26. Caiaphas, the high priest, says to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus answers him. You have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Caiaphas was surprised when he saw the Lord. He didn't believe Jesus then. He wasn't ready for the end of his life, but he knows now that Jesus is the King of Kings. The King of Kings will be exalted when he returns. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So those are seven implications from the second advent. And I just wanted to share uh, a few things very briefly because I think that this is a great season for starting or restarting a habit of private or family devotion, family worship. worship. And um, I, I, I hope you'll take advantage of it. Um, I just want to share a few on that second page there, quick points that I hope will serve you well. Um, one is uh, never stop starting. So like if you, I don't know how many of you um, have started a Bible reading plan and not finished or decided you're going to get up early and play, pray and slept in and, and it just gets discouraging, you know, or, or made a resolution with your family even. We're going to do this, you know, and we're going to and then, and then not followed through. Um, my counsel and uh, desire for you would be that you would just do it again. Just keep going, you know, just keep going. Don't, you know, it's like exercise or eating well or sleeping better. Um, oh, actually, it's greater than all of those things. Uh, those things may be of some value, but godliness is of value in every way because it has value in this life and in the life to come. And so it's worth trying again, you know, and don't be discouraged. God has grace for us. He knows we are flesh. He knows we are weak. So uh, keep trying. I think morning is great time. You know, everybody's different. I get it. You know, maybe you uh, take the kids to school and then you come back and then you have time or maybe you can do your lunch break. I'm not being legalistic, but morning is a great time to sit and read your Bible, to pray to God. Uh, we like to do family devotions after dinner at our house, uh, and we miss a lot of nights. Uh, but we love our family table time after years of, of doing it. And... Uh, Keep it simple, you know, like this is a, just for example, this is like a page. Look, look how short, you know. So this is not, this isn't, I, I put in here because I want you to feel like you're getting your money's worth. It, private family, family devotions are not a good time to be overly didactic. I mean, you're not giving a lecture on systematic theology to your family at the table, right? You know, so, but, but it's a time to, you know, <coughs> grow that warm heart of love for Jesus and pray together as a family. 
uh, be God-centered, full of, of grace in doing family devotions. Kind of, if you're, if you're a dad um, and you're leading at the table, you know, kind of know your audience, you know, <laughs> keep a sense of humor, you know, the little, your, your, your seven-year-old may not be as into pneumatology as you are, you know what I mean? But your seven-year-old needs to, to know that God loves her. And, and so just kind of know the group that you're talking about. Keep it uh, simple. I think you, you'll enjoy great fruit uh, from doing that. We got a lot of stuff in the bookstore. So this, I mean, if you want to look at this, you can. It's pretty great. It's like uh, if you grew up in old school church like I did, it's like it's just, it's, it's just the liturgy. It'll be very familiar to you. Uh, prayer of adoration, <laughs> prayer of confession, confession of faith. Um, actually, you can read through. Uh, this is free. In the bookstore you can read through a statement of faith like like this one or you could use one of the historic statements of faith like the westminster or heidelberg uh, i like to mark up a bible i finally like this is the most expensive bible i've ever had this one right here and uh, i mean i think the apostle paul would be ashamed of how much this bible costs okay but i finally decided to just to mark in it you know and i'm this I'm, this isn't I'm not trying to be legalistic here, but it just helps me remember and think. But you can buy journaling Bibles and, and mark in those. Um, you can find another prayer just to use as a model, like the prayers in this, Valley of Vision, that's in the bookstore. You can read the Psalms. Um, so I've been going back and forth this year reading the Psalms. I don't use this, but this is really cool. It's only a, a Psalter, so there's only Psalms in it. And uh, you can read Psalms and make them like your prayers. Um, so I've been going back and forth between the Psalms and this thing some this year. And then, uh, of course, you can find a Bible reading plan like this or download something on the Internet. But I would just encourage you not to miss the opportunity that Advent presents to kind of work on these habits, you know, uh, personally um, and then with your family. But let's pray. <coughs> Father God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that he loves us. I thank you that he came to be our Savior and that he's coming again. And I pray that we would be encouraged by that reality, Lord. Help us to, to just be faithful, Lord. And help us to be waiting, praying, watching for our Lord to return and sharing the good news with the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone-u.